Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we are talking with Eric Lapuma, a professional trail runner based outside of Burlington, Vermont, getting ready for the Canyons 100K later this month. We talk about the intersection of running and design, what quote unquote making it looks like in our sport, the rising popularity of the trail running world championships, and other sports we can get inspiration from to make our community even greater. This episode of the Single Track Podcast is brought to you by Rabbit, makers of the best trail running apparel. If you're in the market for new kit and you want to support the Single Track Podcast in the process, do us a favor and use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout on their website for 20% off your next order. With that, let's get started. All right, Eric Lapuma, welcome back to the Single Track Podcast. Thank you, Finn. Lot to discuss. Uh, maybe the first thing is you quit your job recently and you are focused on running. And I have a lot of questions off this, but I guess the first one is: Does it feel right? Do you feel like you're you have the feng shui? You're feeling good about it? Uh, I mean, it, it feels right from the feeling good about it standpoint. Where it feels wrong is that I'm not it's like somebody who can just not have a job, like just for financial reasons. So. Um, I'm not in a situation where I'm going to be like homeless or anything, but it, it's nice to have a job for financial security. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to get one within the next month or two, probably. I mean, I, I am actively applying for jobs, so that's where it feels wrong and that like, I kind of just need to have one, but it, it's been great to kind of just take a break, um, for a little bit and just focus on the things that I actually enjoy doing. Do you feel, and this is sort of an age old debate and it seems unique to our sport, but in a perfect world where finances weren't an issue, do you feel like you would benefit from the focus of a totally runner's lifestyle? Yeah, I do. Uh, I feel like everybody answers this question and says that they like working, but I, <laughs> I love being able to just run and I'm somebody who instead of working could adjust, could like adopt some hobby, like, um, playing like magic cards or, or like Warhammer 40 K or something like <laughs> some kind of like super nerdy hobby and could just put all of my energy into that and running, it would be completely satisfied. I agree. Yeah. I, I feel like I fall in the same camp and, uh, it's funny that it's unique to running. So I feel like if you look at any other sport, they would tell you there's not enough time in the day to right. recover and, and do everything else to be in top shape. But that's cool. I love the reference to magic cards too. I would probably be invested in World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, I could do that too. Or, or Rune, <laughs> RuneScape, World of Warcraft, all those games. Love it. Well, because you have this design background, that was your, your previous job. And also because I think, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, I'll call it the presentation of our sport. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the way we go about branding trail running and that means everything from like the events we put on to the gear to the athletes to social media is is there anything in your experience given your expertise that comes to mind with how we could be presenting our sport better yeah i mean I, i've been a graphic designer for close to 10 years now um i think this is a great great question it's really interesting i think from like a gear and branding standpoint everything is kind of boring and it's all sort of the same like like stereotypical outdoorsy person type gear, except for the stuff that Solomon specifically has been doing lately. And I think a lot of that is driven by like this corp core trend, which is if people don't know, it's kind of like the, 
just like a fashion trend of wearing like architects gear or Solomon gear, um, like in the city and like making that, I mean, it's kind of like high fashion at this point. Um, so I think that's driving a lot of the, like Solomon's pushed with all these like new colors and everything. All the stuff looks fantastic. And I think Nike trail recently has been coming out with some really good looking, uh, gear. Um, I think Matt Daniels posted today on his Instagram, the new racing kit for Nike trail. It looks so good. Um, and I mean, I was just at the Boston marathon watching and seeing even their road running singlet now is so cool looking. And all their shoes, like all the colorways, all the prototype colorways for like the Vaporfly 3, for the Ultrafly, everything looks really nice. But I think in general, everything is, to me, is kind of boring um, from like the more traditional brands. Um, I think events are have come a long way, like things like Broken Arrow, uh, like really just has really solid branding. Things like UTMB, of course, does too. Um, the World Championships in Austria seems like it does too they have kind of a cool logo i I don't know if you can see it in the background but ultra made this poster for the wasatch 100 um two years ago yeah sort of like a a cartoon-esque graphic of the point to point of the race and i've always wanted to see more races invest in event posters in the same way that like when you go to a concert like I'm a big Dave Matthews band fan. They always have like a unique poster for each night of their show on tour. I would love to see these events put out um, something to commemorate like a particular year of Western States or Broken Arrow or, you know, you've got worlds coming up. So like the world championships, I don't know if you have any thoughts there, but like that's, that's one thing as not a, not a design person, but just an appreciator of, of presentation that I would love to see. Yeah. And that poster behind you looks pretty sweet. And I think that's a great idea. Um, I'm a, a big Grateful Dead fan and they, yeah, they also have just timeless, iconic branding. Uh, basically everything they did was fantastic, but yeah, I mean, that's, that would be super cool. Like or Western States having like a, every year as a new poster or broken arrow, that would be awesome. Are there any, uh, like for me, when I think of eras of sports jerseys that I get super inspired by, I always look to the. 70s National Basketball Association, like that famous Denver Nuggets uniform where the Denver skyline is like the Technicolor red, yep. yellow, blue against the white. Do you feel like, like wh- where do you get inspiration when it comes to like jerseys and stuff? Like, cause you had mentioned like Matt Daniels kit and, and what Solomon is doing. Uh, I, I mean, I would say the same thing that you just did. Um, I'm designing a logo now um, or basically just all my designs right now that I'm kind of just doing for fun. I've been looking at a lot of vintage Olympic games stuff. So like either the iconography for that or the posters, um, all, all that stuff is really cool. So yeah, vintage Olympic stuff, uh, any vintage basketball is really cool. Like vintage Chicago bulls stuff is, is awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, any, yeah, anything from the seventies and eighties is always going to be good design wise. You said earlier that a lot of the stuff in our sport from a design standpoint is, is quote unquote boring. And it makes me wonder, do you think as a design person, is it boring because it's hard to appreciate our particular era without context and that it's much easier to like look back 10, 20 years and say, actually, you know what, that was cool. Or is there something going on in the way we approach design right now where we're just not necessarily doing our job and unleashing creative forces? I think, yeah, I I think there's just not enough, ability to be creative sometimes with certain companies like 
it just goes against their branding or like, I don't know, I, it's, it even seems to still be happening. Like forever Nike was just putting out that Volt color product, which was just so ugly. And now it seems like other companies are still doing that. Like North Face just came out with what's their new super shoe, like the Vective Summit Pro. Right, right. And the prototype, the white one is fantastic. It's beautiful looking. But then the, the the production model is like Volt color. And like, I mean, it, I was going to order them, but then I didn't because they're so ugly. <laughs> um, and I, I don't want to say stuff like that because somebody picked that color. And if they listen to this, they might feel bad. But I just, I don't know, like get away from like the, the ugly highlighter color stuff. Right on. Well, another thing I wanted to talk about you have been based in Vermont now. We actually had a chance to go on a run last summer in the Waterbury area, and I was just blown away by the gravel roads, the vistas, looking out to Mount Mansfield, just how cool that area is. Um, but you've also trained in the Boulder scene before, and I thought it'd be fun to compare and contrast those two scenes because on this show, one of the recurring themes is also the real or imagined east-west divide in our sport. So, um this is sort of a broad question, but what are your feelings about the two scenes having been steeped in them for quite a while? I think I'm a, I'm a bad East Coast person because I, I love everything in the West Coast. And, and, and we're just like the, the Mountain West, like Boulder, uh, Colorado, <laughs> We're cutting Utah. this. We're cutting this. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so I'll talk about the positives of New England first. Um, I do think that we have the best dirt roads in the country. Like I can run from my house and have like an, an unlimited amount of runs that are as good or better than running on Magnolia road in Boulder. Hmm. They're not at altitude, but they have the same elevation gain and they're all dirt, but there are zero cars. Um, and it, it, they're equally as beautiful. They, the, the views are not as vast as they would be on Magnolia road or somewhere in Boulder, but they're special in their own right. And in the fall and the spring, like right now they're, they're fantastic. Um, I think what New England lacks the most is competitive ultra events. So we, we have events like uh, Breakneck Point, fantastic. Ragged 50K is also fantastic. And those generally do draw a pretty solid elite field, especially now because one is a national championship and one is a golden trail race slash U.S. selection race. So those are great, but that's kind of it. Um, so if I want to do a competitive race, I almost always have to fly somewhere, which I, like, I mean, flying for me just stresses me out so much. It almost always negatively impacts my race. Uh, so that I think is what New England doesn't have going for it. And then the other thing is just like, I, I don't have a ton of people to train with. Um, if I want to do a road run, there's generally some marathon guys that I can get out with, but there's not a ton of people training for ultra trail. Um, I mean, I, I'm seeing him later tonight. Um, there's, we have Dan Kurtz. He's a yes. good friend of mine and a friend fantastic runner. Yeah. Great guy. But he specializes now in kind of the, the sub ultra trail events. So there's not a ton of overlap. We do get out for runs every once in a while, but it's very rare that we'd have like a, a workout lineup uh, together yeah. that we could do together. If you're rank ordering those three factors, so terrain, races, training partners, how what, what does the order look like for you? So, like, what is important? 
Yeah, in terms of self-actualizing as a runner, like becoming the best runner you can possibly be, having fun in the process. Yeah, just feeling like because you're investing so much in the sport, if I ranked them this way and achieved these things in order, I would be getting the best out of myself. I think number one for me would be training partners. Um, that was something I had in Boulder was I like almost every single day I would get out for a lunch run with Cordis Hall um, because our offices were next to each other. So we would go either run up Sinitas or run up Boulder Canyon. I think second would be terrain um, because if you live somewhere where like there's just no trails, you're, you're going to be kind of screwed. Uh, and then what was the third one? Races. I think, yeah, I think races is third because you, you can do what I do and just fly to everything. It's kind of, a, it is annoying, but it, it's just kind of part of the game right now. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I mean, you mentioned breakneck, you mentioned ragged, two excellent races, Sunapee, although it's a shorter distance race. Uh, yeah. I, and I should mention like the, the short distance mountain champs are always insanely stacked. I'm just not fast enough to, to compete at those. Like, cause yep. I mean, dudes are so good right now. And I feel like too, because of the federal regulations in like the white mountains, for example, it has become a destination for the FKT scene, like the hut to hut traverse. Prezi Traverse, um, Appalachian Trail. If, if you do want to dabble in that scene, it's it's world class. Oh yeah, so I mean FKTs. We have world class FKT routes. I mean you you just named the good ones. Like Pemi and Prezi are so cool. Like two of the coolest routes. Like anywhere. I think Prezi is one of the coolest routes anywhere in the country. And I wish more people would come out and, and see it. What's your sense for, I mean, just given, I mean, we both know Vermont, a lot of listeners know Vermont, New Hampshire as well, Maine, beautiful area of the country. You are probably relegated to being a multi-sport athlete because it's tough to run in those areas through the winter, although you can do it. What's your sense for why there haven't been these uh, great specific communities that have formed around trail running there in the same way they have in places like boulder and flagstaff and seattle and i know there's probably not like one answer here but i'm wondering if you've thought about this at all and and what your speculation is i think about that all the time i think you you said it with the winter i think is a very big thing we had a relatively mild winter for new england this year and i was i mean i ran basically 100 miles a week all winter um that's badass yeah i I, I felt that way. I, <laughs> I, I accumulated a lot of mental toughness points. So I think the winter, like, I mean, we, we had that day here. It was like negative 40 for two days. And it it's just absolutely brutal because it's, it's, it's like a wet cold too. I think the other thing is our trails here are so old that they're like impossibly technical. There's runners who can do it and are fantastic at this kind of technical running. Jack Kenzel would be one of them. Yep. I am, I'm not one of those people. I used to be a lot better at it, but I, I just don't do it quite as much anymore. And I, I mean, I can hang on like a, a run in the whites or the greens just cause I, I have to like, that's just what we have. But I think places like Boulder, places like California or, or Seattle, anywhere like Salt Lake city, the trails are just so much easier to run. And there's so much more access from town that it, it just makes it a lot more desirable of a place to live if you want to be a trail runner. I sent you this meme the other day. It was a photo from Billy Madison where 
Happy Gilmore, or not, not Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, where yeah. Happy walks into uh, the golf house there and it's like Shooter McGavin and all those guys in like suits and uh, Happy Gilmore is just like draped in like an, an ACDC shirt and like a <laughs> pair of like ripped jeans and he's like re- in a Boston Bruins hat, like ready to go, ready to like chop it up on the course. And the meme was like how an East Coast runner feels walking into the West Coast scene, a West Coast race. And I sent it to you and you're like, this, this sums it up perfectly. And I think we got to address it here. Like, do you feel like there is any, like, is there a, is there an East coast, West coast divide in our sport? Do you feel like East coast runners are, uh, I don't want to say undervalued, but like they, they fly under the radar and, and we kind of, uh, miss this part of the, uh, the country when we talk about the sport. Yeah, I think that definitely fly under the radar. I mean, there's dudes like, I mean, there's some dude who I've never even heard of who ran like 5.30 on the Pembe Loop this year. Like, who was that? I think I think his name is Joe Aceto. Wow. Pretty, pretty sure he's a skier. Like, okay. it I was Jordan Fields. I think it, Jordan Fields had that too at one point. Yeah, it wasn't Jordan. Like, like Jordan still has the overall FKT, but this dude beat Jack's technically unsupported FKT. Like, there's all that... Yeah. crazy rules and shit with FKTs. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think East Coast runners are definitely under the radar. I don't think that they're like underappreciated. I think it's just harder to hear about them. Um, and not everybody has the means to fly to super competitive races whenever they want to race. So like you'll end up just, I mean, they're like, I don't know, like I, you could show up to an East coast race. That's super technical and just get smoked by some dude who lives in the whites that you've never heard of. And I, I I think you run into this in places like the East coast and places like Alaska, where you can go run Mount marathon and just get your ass kicked by some random Alaskan dude because they're used to that type of terrain. Um, But yeah, I think there, there is a little bit of a divide between the East coast and the West coast. I feel like I've, somehow like found myself in the middle because I've lived in Boulder and I've lived in Vermont now. Interloper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I speak fluent Boulder and, and fluent East coast. <laughs> it's a good skill set to have. Do you feel, I mean, you mentioned the guy there, Aceto that, uh, had a great time on the Pemi loop. Are there any other people that you train with on a day-to-day basis or you've interacted with in the last year or two that, uh, you think like if they had a chance to get onto the national scene or race out West, they would surprise a lot of people. They fit into that quote unquote random baller category. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned him already, but Jordan Fields, I think, I mean, he's, he's done some competitive races, but I don't think like, like he raced the rut and I don't think he did fantastic there, but I, I mean, the rut's also like at high altitude and the dude lives in New Hampshire, but yeah, there's guys like him, but I, I don't think there's too many other guys besides Jack, of course. But like, I mean, Jack, Jack's just not going to race. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's like four or five guys that I just like don't know about that could probably do that. And it also begs the question, like, why can't we just meet these guys where they are? Like meet them on their home turf and then it's a fair fight because that's where they've been training for years, if not decades. Like, let's let's have a. Let's have a race in the whites where, you know, Jordan is there. Let's have a race in, in Vermont. Like there's just, there's just not that many opportunities. No, there's not. And I, I mean, I, I, I wish more people would do Vermont 50 mile because that's a really cool race. It's, it's majority of it is dirt roads and it also coincides with a mountain bike race that goes on at the same time. So it's logistically kind of a nightmare, 
Okay. But that that's a cool one. Races like Kismet Cliff in the White Mountains. Yes. Would be perfect for like a sub ultra showdown. Um, it's super technical. There's some some races in the Adirondacks that could be really cool. Uh, but I, I think what would have to happen is have it be like an unsanctioned race. Jeff Colts talked about this before of having a bunch of dudes show up and just like race the Pemi loop or something yep. like that. That's probably the way it's going to have to be because there's just so many regulations in the white and green mountains and the Adirondacks where we can't really have giant races going on. It's amazing. And I'm sort of reinvigorated about this right now because it just happened with Lake Sonoma, but it's wild how almost on a dime in, in the course of one year, if, if a race gets some sort of championship event attached to it, or they become a part of some race series overnight, a flock of pro elite runners head to it. It happened with Lake Sonoma earlier uh, this month. And I think about a race like Kismet Cliff, which I, I've been there. Beautiful course, beautiful area of upstate New Hampshire. Imagine if that race, in the same way that the Mammoth Trail Fest just got added to the Golden Trail Series circuit, imagine if Tom Hooper, who who is a hustler in a good way, I feel like he's 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 a great person. He's a great ambassador for that scene. Imagine if like that guy hustles and gets Golden Trail Series designation for that kind of race. I think overnight you see amazing new levels of awareness to that scene, and people are like, wow, this this is a cool area. Yeah, totally. I mean, look at what happened with Breakneck Point this year and last year. It's be, it's been a U.S. selection race, and it's insanely competitive right now. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, shout out to Tom Hooper. He's one of the best dudes in the trail scene. Yep, he just does awesome stuff, and he's just a ton of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, if anybody can do it, it's him. I, I mean, I, someday I, I hope that happens. Like he's hosting 50k national championships at Ragged, and I hope that just becomes insanely competitive. Quick break to give you another discount code. This episode is also brought to you by HVMN, which are my choice for exogenous ketones. I was introduced to exogenous ketones at the Havelina 100 back in the fall of 2022, and after some testing, they quickly became a part of my daily routine to support energy and focus and. I've even started using them in the middle of long runs to support endurance and recovery. In 2023, my nutrition plan will be both high carb and high ketone, and for the latter, HVMN will be my product of choice. So if you're interested in trying them out yourself, use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout on their website for 20% off your next order. One more uh, interesting note, uh, Ketone IQ, which is HVMN's flagship product, can be found in local Sprouts stores nationwide starting April 1st. With that, let's get back to the conversation. Well, you talked earlier about, uh, yeah, just, just the logistical hurdles that are involved in going to certain races. You traveled across the country earlier this spring to go race Chuck and Nut. Had a great race there. Very competitive field. Great time. I'm curious because this has been, this has been a frustration of mine for quite a while now where there's so many races in the sport that it's hard to get a lot of the great runners in our sport on the same start lines year after year. A lot of these races become quite diluted. We'll probably talk about canyons in a second, get some of your thoughts there. But as somebody who is, is I'm calling you a pro runner, you're a pro runner. You might not have all of like the sponsorship labels attached, but you're one of the best runners in our sport. How do you think about, uh, picking races and who's at the start lines of these races, competition, stuff like that. What goes into your calculus for, building out a schedule each year? This year, it has been pretty much just competition. I, I want to race these really competitive races. So um, originally, I wasn't going to do like an early spring race like Chuck and Nut, but I, I felt like I just needed 
something to remind me how to race before canyons. Um, so yeah, it's this this year has been kind of about more like what do I want to do and like what haven't I done already? Like last year, I feel like I accomplished a lot. Um, so this year was mostly focused about getting into Western states because I feel like that and UTMB are kind of like these crown jewel races that I have not yep. done yet. Uh, so that that was the reason behind canyons. I, I would have picked Black Canyon probably over canyons. But it's just, it, it's too hard to train for in New England. Cause I mean, I only just last week was able to get on trails for the first time this year. Wow. So it, 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 Black Canyon has a lot of like really tight, sharp turns and you just are not used to that training on dirt roads all winter. So that's how I picked canyons. Um, it, it's kind of perfect too, because if you get top 10, you also get to race CCC in, uh, I guess it's either late August or early September. So it ended up being good for that. But yeah, this year was, was kind of just all around Western States, but then, um, fortunately slash unfortunately, I just got picked for the, the U S team for, uh, the 80 K. So that's kind of huge congrats, by the way. Thank you. It, it's kind of, um, caused a lot of inner turmoil in like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? Well, that's what I, you know, and I think it's a good time to talk about it. We, we had you on the podcast along with Adam Peterman, Adam, Mary, Jeff Colt back in, I think it was October, November, recapping your gold medal at the 80K Worlds in Thailand. It's six to seven months later at this point. What impact, what influence did that experience have on you? Like, did it in any way, shape, or form change your trajectory in the sport, change what you think is important? Talk about that. It, it definitely changed what I think is important. Um, I think prior to that year, Worlds was kind of an afterthought for most people. And I think that it's now... I mean, I, I would put it at the same level as something like Western States. I, I think it will be as competitive or more competitive this year than Western States. I mean, I, I, I think if you looked at UTMB scores last year, it was pretty much equally competitive. Um, other than that, I, I think that my biggest takeaway from Thailand that, that like I still think about is, is, is just like I, I really made good friends with, um, the men's team. So Adam Peterman, Adam Mary and Jeff Colt, as, I mean, as well as Tom Hooper, like yeah. we, we're still in a WhatsApp group chat. And I mean, it, it's pretty active. Like there's at least <laughs> messages in it at like at least once a week. So that was kind of my biggest takeaway is, is just kind of building the camaraderie with those guys. And, um, I mean, Adam was just on, I mean, both Adams were just on free trail and like they're both right. talking about being in the box like that and that was just like such a big part of our our trip and and all wearing the visors and stuff it's it just like looking back on it it's all kind of funny but but also really cool that so that that's probably my my biggest takeaway that i still think about is is just being buddies with those guys you know this is largely a solo sport i mean you're out there in the depths of vermont winter logging 100 miles a week based on Strava, it seems like in isolation, which is so impressive. I mean, that self-driving motivation I would kill for, but you had this experience in Thailand last year where you got to see ultra running in a team context where, um, not only are you racing for an individual place, but you're, you're running for a team, you're running for a country. Did that create any paradigm shifts in your mind about where this sport could go? And if we're currently operating in a way from a competitive standpoint that makes the most sense or like, is this world's model something that we could like invest in in other areas as well? 
I, I yeah, I, I think the world's model of having team races like that is really, really cool. And I mean you've you've talked about that before with um what was it, Battle of the Brands or something? This is a self serving question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that I picked up on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that would be so cool. Like, I, I mean, we just talked about like cool jerseys earlier. Like, I don't right. know, like have all that cool branded stuff. With, I mean, that to me is just really neat. Um, like, I don't know. I, I love the team aspect of that. It, it just makes you run so much faster too, because you want to do better for these guys that are on your team. Like, all right, I don't want to like, like, it, I mean, I remember thinking like, all right, if I walk here, like we're going to lose a couple minutes and, and like the team, like the winning is based off total time. So like it really pushes you. It's, it's really right. cool. And I, I, I wish there were more opportunities for that. I like that insight. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said too about the geographical anchor. Like you guys were racing for the United States of America. I think in a pro context, we could have teams that are based around the metro area of Boulder, metro area of Burlington, Salt Lake City. Flagstaff. And I think that would be really cool to see too. Like in like a, in some way, shape or form, you could have these geographically based teams, everyone training there together on a week to week basis. And then maybe it all aligns with like the golden ticket series, starting with Javelina and like at least two or three runners on each team aim for a golden ticket at that race, or they just try to place at that race. And then like the, our own U S championship becomes like Western States or something. I think that would be super cool. Oh, yeah. That would be awesome. I mean, I, I, I'm just thinking about it, like who would be on my Burlington team. Like there, there are a bunch of guys who trail run and it would be really cool to like, to put that together. And I mean, the, the, the Boulder boys, they would have a pretty strong team and there's a good one in Flagstaff too, but yeah, that, I, that, I, I think there's room for that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of people would have fun doing that. If you can convince Ben True to get into Ultra Trail, <laughs> and then maybe after that, after you've recruited Ben True, uh, make the, the the sell on Dan Kurtz to, to move up in distance, I think your top three is already very strong. I think Dan is pretty realistic. I I mean, I I, ta- I tell Ben about running comrades probably like every other week, and it hasn't moved the needle at all yet. So maybe if I keep trying, um, he'll get a little more interested. Let's talk about worlds versus Western States for a second, because just a few minutes ago, you said that this year's worlds, uh, the ADK worlds championships is going to be probably as competitive as the Western States race. And I bet if we checked the UTMB index scores for the runners in each event, it, it probably would be very close. Talk about the pros and cons for each, because you're about to line up at the canyons hundred K and actually, you know, like you said, UTMB is also on the table too, but like, let's, let's talk specifically about the pros and cons of Western versus worlds. Like what would make you choose worlds? What would make you choose Western, et cetera. So what would make me choose worlds would be, is that it's a free trip to Austria, um, uh, which is cool. Like wh- who gets to say that they get a free trip to Austria to run a really cool 80 K um, another part is that besides being an athlete in the sport, I'm also a really big fan of it. So being on that team with those runners would be so cool to me. It would really make me feel like I actually am one of the best runners in the U S which is just like mind blowing to me to be on a team with those guys. It, it, like, that's so cool to me. Um, I, I really want to hang out with Tom Hooper again. That's a big part of it. Um, and I also just, I mean, I just want to visit Austria, like Austria versus Auburn, California is it's kind of a no brainer to pick Austria. Um, what would make me pick Western States is that I haven't done it yet. 
it's an incredibly competitive race in the United States. Um, I would really like to run a hundred miles again. I haven't done it since 2018, I think, um, when I ran Leadville, uh, it's super iconic and it's a unique challenge in that, especially this year, there's going to be like 25 miles of snow and then it's just going to be really, really hot. So that's kind of cool. And it, I mean, it's it's like the live stream I always watch. It would be really cool to be part of that. And then like even like the I Run Far Twitter updates, I like I love that kind of stuff. So it would be cool yeah. to just be like in that whole scene. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know, like I, I haven't made Western States yet. So luckily I don't have to make that decision, um, but I might soon. It's really interesting to me. I was looking at your race resume. You're really fast on the roads. You've run a sub three hour 50K smoking fast. You've also proven yourself in technical mountain races. You've gotten second at Broken Arrow. You were, is it, was it seventh at Worlds last year? Yeah. Seventh at Worlds. Again, very technical uh, mountain race. How do you feel about the 100 mile distance? Do you feel like a race like Western States you could rise to the occasion for and show up at? Because if I understand correctly, that has been the one distance that you haven't had like commensurate amount of success at yet. Yeah. And I think a lot, I, I, yeah. I, so I really want to try the hundred mile distance again, because I think I'm finally, I guess the word for it would be like, I guess it's maturity. Like, I feel like I'm mature enough to run that distance and respect it enough. When I first got into ultra running, it was kind of at that time period where everybody had to run hundred milers. Like that was just like what people were doing. Um, I mean, I went from 50 K immediately to hundred mile, like at the Bighorn hundred. Big, yeah. Bighorn hundred, which was really cool. And, and I, I miss being that stupid to think that I could just do that because it worked and like, you're not thinking about anything besides trying to finish the race. And I wish I still had that ability to like, to think that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think Western States would be a really good course for me because it is primarily running, but like, I'm, I'm sure there's a little bit of hiking involved. Um, and it's a race that, I mean, the distance to me is like, all right, you can kind of chill for a long time. And those kind of races play well to my strengths. Um, I seem to do well when I kind of just forget about the competition and take it easy for the first half or so, and then kind of turn it on. So, yeah, I, I think I'm at a point where I can now do well in a hundred mile race. It, it's just also the thought of like the recovery after a hundred is so long that like, do I really want to run a hundred miles in June? potentially and then like kind of have like a long sad summer where i where i can't really do that much and western states punishes you it's it's totally real i am not anywhere close to the runner you are i did it back in 2018 and it took me a solid five months to feel like myself again <laughs> after the fact it, it it's it's a for whatever reason it's a punishing course that constellation of elements the heat elevation the runnability it it trashes you so yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, like, historically, I've not done well in hot races up until Thailand, which I, I think that was just because it was like, I mean, it was basically Vermont, but in the jungle. It was just so humid and terrible. Um, Western states, I don't believe is humid. I think it's just like 110 degrees. So I would have to really, really prepare for that. One last question I have about worlds, and I guess this would, we would be going back to like the immediate one to two months after the event. You talked about how there has been just momentum for this race in general in our sport and how people might st be starting to prioritize it at the same level they prioritize a golden ticket or getting into UTMB. Have, did you have any 
interesting conversations that you can recall or comments from fellow elite athletes in the sport expressing interest in this and, and maybe uh, moving around plans for 2023 and beyond to, to get invested in this? Not, not specifically. I mean, J- Jeff Cole is like a, a champion of, of, of promoting worlds now. He's doing the Lord's work. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a great guy. Um, after I got on the team, he actually called me um, to tell me that I should definitely do it over running Western States if I get into Western States which I thought was really cool and just nice of him to like actually call me on the phone. I don't feel like a lot of people do that anymore. Um, but which I, is the best, by the way, I want to bring back phone conversations. <laughs> I try to do like two or three a day and they're, so, they're so much better than text. you called Same me yesterday. <laughs> I did <laughs> yeah. out of the blue too. Un- out of the blue, no schedule. No. And I answered, which is rare. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like Jeff was probably the biggest one to be like, I mean, he, he applied for worlds. Like, if, if he had got on, who, who knows if he had done Western States or not? Yep. I mean, and, and like everybody was hearing rumors of like, all right, like these awesome athletes applied for worlds. Like it sounds like nobody's going to make the team because these killers have just applied. Um, I mean, it, it just kind of sounded like everybody who's good applied. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it and I, I don't think that that's been the case in, in years past. I'm glad you mentioned Jeff. And I think one thing I want to say about Jeff, because I I really admire this about him. You do have agency in the sport. You do have influence in the sport. You can change the course of what's perceived as important from a racing standpoint. And I think he's a great case study in um, getting on the offensive lobbying for, for worlds and just making it cool. And it's just because you know, a certain set of events have been important for eons doesn't mean that it can't change on a dime. And I think we owe a lot to him for, for, uh, setting us on this current course. I think so too. And I, I think it's going to take this world's in Austria for everybody to see like, wow, two years in a row, this is the sickest event in trail running. And then 2025, I think is going to be a completely different ball game. I think it's going to be almost impossible to get on that team. All right, let's talk about canyons. I, I know you talked earlier about how there was a point in time where Black Canyon was a focus and you had tried to train for that in Vermont. It's really hard to do at that time of year. So canyons became the more realistic place to go get a golden ticket. At the same time, you're now on the world's team. There's a really short interval between that race and when that race takes place in early June. So uh, talk about why you're still here and what excites you about it. Uh, it's just the competition in like in a domestic race. So like, and, and I mean, yeah, it's just the people who are going like Matt Daniels, Adam Mary. Um, I think Seb Speller is going David Roche, David Roche, Brian Curl. Um, yep. I think, uh, what's his, uh, Grunewald. It's his first yes, name, Justin, Justin. Grunewald. Yeah. Justin Grunewald. Yep. He's going, and I'm sure there's like, I don't know, probably another 10 dudes who I am forgetting about who are going, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just being able to do a hundred K that is that competitive in the United States in California, which I, I really like racing in California. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, I'm like every day I still, I'm thinking like, should I still be doing this? Should I just skip it and just run worlds? But then there's also the scenario of like, all right, like I could still get into CCC and then run worlds and CCC if I get top 10 at canyons and don't do West, like if I don't get a golden ticket, which that would be pretty sweet. Like that's an awesome summer. It's a lot of traveling, but I think there's enough time in between where 
I could maybe just do like a local Vermont race or like maybe ragged 50 K or something. And then have that be my whole summer. And I would be pretty satisfied with that. And I actually think that the Northeast Vermont, especially New Hampshire in July and August is a perfect training ground for CCC. I think it's an underrated, great training ground. A lot of the demands of that CCC course, those three absolutely heinous climbs in the back half of the race before you drop back down into uh chamonix are like you could recreate that perfectly on mount musalak um you could recreate it perfectly on mount washington um yeah it's a great training ground i agree and i should have mentioned that when we were talking about the benefits of the east coast i think it's the perfect place to train for european races and nobody has realized that yet it's so hard to run here everything is so steep there are no switchbacks there's giant rocks. Everything's covered in slime. Like it, it's just impossible to run here in it, but it makes you so good. Like training on Mount Mansfield for CCC would make CCC seem somewhat easy. <laughs> like, I mean, I, child's play. Yeah. Like there, I have this route that I do on Mount Mansfield. It's just up the gondola trail and it's two miles gains exactly 2000 feet. And then you run back down, you can just do repeats on that. And it's like a very European style trail and it's, it's awesome. It'd be perfect. I, I would really look forward to, tr- to using that for training for worlds and then training for CCC. Yeah. I love that, that summer lineup of worlds in CCC. That would be my vote as a fan of yours. Is there any, is there anything that could possibly happen at canyons just based on that experience that would <clears throat> make you reevaluate and reconsider a golden ticket? Or do you feel like going into this, you are firmly set on this world's path. Oh, I, I, I could totally take the golden ticket. I, I, this, I, I have great turmoil in my brain, Finn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I would do because I mean, there's always the thought in your head of like, what if this is, what if this is it? What if I suck next year? Mm. And like, I don't have these opportunities anymore. Like this is like the ultimate first world problem to potentially have. It's like, Oh, do I run Western States or world championships? Um, but I, I mean, there's so much that could make me run Western States. Like if Adam, Mary and I both get tickets and the entirety of team visor is at Western States, <laughs> that, that would be so sick. Yes. Like that. I did not consider that. That's that, that could very well be the case. Yeah. I mean like national geographic would show up to make a movie about that. That's, <laughs> That would be amazing. That I mean, that in my head, like I love Matt Daniels. He's a great guy. And, and Brian Curl, both friends of mine. And I hope that they do fantastic at Canyons. But it would be so cool if Adam, Mary, and I both got tickets. Work, working name for the documentary, Unboxing of the Visor. <laughs> it would be perfect, dude. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it would really be a hard decision. I, I honestly, if that situation comes, I really don't know what I would pick. But World Championships does sound pretty cool. One thing you just said there, which I picked up on, I think it's interesting because I think that this is something a lot of elite athletes think about, and, and it's a major factor in how they plan their their schedules each year is just the fact that this could all go away in any instant. And even though there may be, there may have been a lot of momentum in the last couple months or years leading up to like, you know, we're recording in April, 2023, I may not be the same athlete that I am for whatever reason in 2024. So I, I guess what I'm wondering is like, how do you handle that? Are you living in the moment or are you not trusting that there's going to be like some semblance of yourself next year to, to do all this over again? I think you just never know what's going to happen. Like 
I mean, I, I think I, I maybe I have a unique perspective on it because I was always really, really bad at sports, running included growing up. Like I played every, everything. Like my parents made me do baseball, basketball, soccer, never scored a goal in soccer, never hit the ball in baseball, never scored a basket in basketball. I started running. I was horrible. I ran mm-hmm. 27 minute 5k when I joined cross country. Um, I didn't even do track. I played golf. And then all of a sudden I had one race where there was some success and became hooked. And then I ran division three in college, only ran three years, quit my senior year because I just didn't want to do it anymore. Um, so like, I, I've not always been very good. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm having some success in sport, but it's not always been that way. So I guess I can see it like that there is another side of this where like next year, maybe I'm just not good anymore. Or like, you, or, or something happens and like, I, I can't run. So I, I do feel like you need to live in the moment and, and really think hard about these decisions that you have and like what races you're going to, because I mean, you, you it's not, you're not always going to have these opportunities. Do you draw confidence from hard work? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think I draw a lot of confidence from the runs I do in the winter here in Vermont. Every single run I go on in the winter when it's negative 20 degrees, negative 10 degrees, and I'm doing a, like a, a threshold workout and everything's covered in ice. I'm thinking the entirety of that run, like there's going to be a point where like, what if it's canyons or worlds and there's five miles to go and I'm in the opportunity to get a golden ticket or something. Like I know that I have that tough experience of training here in the winter and like that I like that stuff gives me an edge for sure. Just thinking about like the future, which is funny because we were just talking about the nature of uncertainty and how you have to live in the moment. But thinking about the future for a second, it could be the case that you've already reached a point where you're at this supreme level of satisfaction, but what is making it quote unquote look like to you in this sport? So I, I, that's a good question. I, I think for me, like, there, I mean, there's the obvious things that are like, I mean, it would be cool to have like some kind of financial stability from running. That's awesome. Um, I also think to me, making it is when you are completely satisfied with what you've done. And I mean, I think about this a lot on runs too. It's like, there's going to be a day where I no longer feel like I need to go to competitive races and I can kind of just do whatever I want. Like I can just go run like Catamount 50 K or Moose Lamu 50 K in Vermont just for fun. And like, I don't need to go do this stuff and, and, and that I can just be completely satisfied from that. And I almost look forward to those days where like, where, where I'm just kind of happy doing whatever I want. And I think that is, to me, is making it. Eric, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, looking forward to the race at Canyons. Before we started this conversation, I was going to encourage you strongly to do the World CCC combo. But y- you mentioned some of the implications for a reunion of last year's <laughs> ADK team at Western. And now that is totally in shambles. And I'm not sure exactly what I think. But anyways, I wish you the best at Canyons. Thanks for being a part of it, making an exciting race. Uh, I think we covered a lot of good ground here. Is there any, any calls to action that you have for the listeners or any, any final thoughts you want to share before we go? Yeah, I, I, I think this might be random, but I wrote it down in my notes. So I feel like I should talk about it. Um, please. Oh, please. Going back to the design of like trail racing, athletes, um, like all brands, all that kind of stuff. I feel like it's, it's kind of trendy to say that we need to be looking at action sports right now to draw inspiration. 
Um, I'm actually somebody who, who can do a kickflip and can skateboard. So I feel like I have a unique perspective here. A lot of people who, who say these kind of things, they, they probably can't even ollie. So they're just posers. There's a lot of skateboarding media that isn't about like actually skateboarding. And it's just about the lives of like skateboarders and things about their hobbies outside of the sport, like what their lives are actually like. And I meant to say this earlier, but I think there's just a huge opportunity in trail running media to look at like people's lives outside of sport. Like what are their hobbies? Like, do they play world of Warcraft Finn? Yes. (laughs) But (laughs) this is the kind of stuff that really interests me. And I'm sure it interests a lot of other people. Like I watch skateboarding videos multiple times a day. The ones I'm more excited about are the ones where people are just like living their life and showing their other hobbies and stuff like that. And I think there's such a huge opportunity for that in trail running to go beyond just like the grind of the sport and like show these people's lives. Um, And I think that like, I mean, that's sort of design, but like that is something that we're missing. And I, I really think that that could also help progress the sport and get people interested in it who like don't run. That's the first time you, anyone has brought this perspective to the podcast. I think it's a great thing to think about. I had not thought of skateboarding before. I had, uh, what's the what's the movie? Um, I'm blanking on the name of it, but are there any particular YouTube channels or athletes or books or any pieces of content that you've consumed in the past or you consume regularly that you think would be good for the audience to get a better reference on all this. Totally. Uh, there's a series, I believe vice used to make it. It's called epically latered, epically latered. And the host, his name is Patrick O'Dell. Um, that to me is like the epitome of YouTube videos. I could watch those nonstop all day, but there's tons of them. And I mean, there must be 50 at this point, just like with professional skateboarders, I'll, I'll send you some later, but that to me is like the epitome of sports media. It's fantastic. And what, what did like some of the episodes look like? Like you, you mentioned just getting into like their personal lives, but um, yeah, just go more into detail there. Uh, I mean, so there, my, my favorite one is there's a skateboarder, Antoine Dixon, who's like, uh, he, he grew up, he, he had like a troubled, came from like a troubled home, like uh, was addicted to drugs, um, okay. like was involved in like in in gang violence and things but was just this phenomenal skateboarder like beautiful style like could do tricks that not a lot of people could do was given endless opportunities from skateboard companies to like to to turn his life around and it it just didn't work out and i mean there's this like three-part documentary basically about this guy's life it's just so interesting to me to watch this kind of stuff and then like i mean he's recently sober like he's skateboarding again now and to see that and then to compare it to this documentary series that they made about him is just so interesting like that's the best episode and i don't know the stuff like that really exists in trail running it might and we just don't know but like oh my god dude it's so good and i mean there's episodes like with andrew reynolds he started baker skateboards like yep it's so good have you seen lords of dogtown i think it came out like 20 years ago oh yeah yeah a long time ago that was the one that came to mind for me, but that's I, a really we'll, cool movie. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll link to all this in the show notes. This is, this is a great perspective. Um, yeah, Eric, always a pleasure looking forward to following your canyons race, looking forward to following whatever you choose next. And, uh, at the very least I will be doing my annual camping trip outside of little river state park in Waterbury and can't wait to share a couple runs together. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. And thanks for having me on. 
Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.